Hi, I am Sarah Coleman, and this is my first episode of my podcast. Um, surprised to be here. Woohoo! I'm starting off with a really, you know, a very big star. <laughs> You're a star. You are. Give me a fucking break. Oh my god. Um, Jill Cargman, comedian, really actress. Um, you have, you're the star of Odd Mom, Mom Out. You are yes. a writer, a badass. Thanks. Like everything. I'll take it. Instagram. In. Where's the Murphy bed? Literally. Well, I mean, I was thinking of getting a car bed for her, my first. That's really bed. funny. Yeah, they're $2,000. Oh, shit. I was like, maybe a few episodes in, I can, um. I know this woman who's, um, you know how people do those like creepy Hamptons marriages where the mom moves out there and like the dad just takes the shitney on Fridays? Yeah, okay, so actually it's really funny. I was thinking about, well, I've been stalking you for like a week. Great. (laughs) In the middle of the night, I'm like watching like YouTubes of you and this rabbi. Oh, yeah, my rabbi. Yeah, and you don't do that. Do what? Like the... Your husband, you stay with him. So I stay with my husband, yes. Also, we don't have a country house. Oh, good. I'm, I never aspire to have a second home. But what I was going to say is my mm-hmm. friend found out that her husband was banging hookers in her son's race car bed. Amazing. Yeah. Wow. What is it? Is it the, it's the massage parlors. Yeah. It's the Latvian massage yes. circles. And then there's um, wine tastings where they come like, pour the wine and do these tastings, quote unquote, but then they like pop your cork and blow your husband right. or whatever. But have you ever heard of Nuru massage? No, what's that? Yeah. So my actually my last boyfriend, that's how it ended. He was doing like a special massage. He was doing that. What's Nuru mean? Um it is um when you rub oil all over your body. Yeah. Mas- Isn't that normal massage? No, the masseuse does that yeah. on herself. Oh on herself. And then on you on you. Got it. And then you like roll around. And then around. you roll your bodies together. Well, that's, if that's not like begging for penetration, I don't know. And what then is. you do that. And then you, and. Well, you know. who's not banging if you do new room massage? No one. No like one's not. You're doing everyone it. Everyone should I was like, thing. oh, that's cool. Okay. You know, it is. I don't like, even like where they put their whole arm I on know, you. I know. I don't want your arm on me. I, I just, I'm fine with like the digits. I know. And the thing also when you're getting the massage in the chair, they're like, if it's a guy, they're like pushing their dick up. Yeah, yeah, you. I've had that actually. Yeah, it's a lot. It's well, this particular one, I was like, oh my god. So your friend found out that yeah, she was having these like wine tasting dinners with guys, other guys who were like July Hamptons widowers, and they were all they would like pair off with these this like circle of Eastern European hooker, and they go and have sex in sun's race carpet, like in all the kids' rooms. So you taste the wine. How did she then- find out that they were having sex in the bed? Um, because when she confronted him that she knew that the private investigator, like, found right. these funds from the joint checking account to this, like, wine sommelier circle that, like, quote-unquote, curates your wine cellar. Yeah, she right. confronted him and was like, did you, like, fuck this bitch in our bed? And he was like, no, of course not. Oh, I did it in our son's bed. But so I was just picturing, like, the kid's vanity plate. You know, it's from, like, Pottery it's Barn or something. So it's sad, like those, those. It's like the Pulp Fiction drive-in car. Like, it's like yeah. a car bed. Yeah, they're amazing. But it had the kid's. Like, name with no vowels or some bullshit, you know? And did she stay with him? No, God, no. That's good. I mean, I don't know. No, he's an animal. He's an animal. He was, like, snorting coke off hooker tits in Reno. A lot of them are. Wholesome. Yeah. 
No, uh, I was thinking we could play just to like, you know, warm up maybe a little bit. Okay, I don't know if we're, I feel like we're warm, but I really want to do a word association. I'm in menopause, so I'm always warm. Yeah. Yes, I love word association. Okay. Like in Skyfall. Yes. James Bond, you know, when he says Skyfall, you know, um, bitch. Remember? Yeah. But I won't we're call you a bitch. That. I won't call you a bitch. That's okay. When I was trying to figure out the name of my podcast, yeah. I was um, harassing every person that is within 10 feet of me <laughs> and my uh the one of the guys who works for me he goes you should definitely have bitch in the title i was like oh cool thank you well the thing is then all <laughs> the prudes like... all the prudes like star it out like they put an asterisk for the i or something yeah i, I was like that. i don't want to come in with being blocked yeah. Like, I'm going to, like, surprise It might, like, them. suppress it on Apple or some shit. Yeah, no, you know no, what no, I mean? No, Everyone's not... so fucking prude. I know. I, I mean, everyone. I wanted to, like, gaslight them. Just be like, this is going to be really wholesome, and then we talk about you know, newer massages. Yeah. <laughs> it's gonna, And not nothing about anyone's career. Like, I'm only... fine with whatever. You <laughs> no. are in the driver's seat. Okay. I'm along for the ride in this I love Corvette it. bed. All right. So word association. Okay. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Muscles. Muscles. Love that. Country club. Um, tennis. Yeah. Doppelganger. German. I thought you were going to say Marilyn Manson. Oh, yeah. People, I, I've, someone what is once that? called me, I was, well, like when Twitter first started, or maybe it wasn't when it first started, but when I was doing Odd Mom Out, I had a social media consultant that they yeah. got me. And, um. I was like new at it and I was just writing. When was this? Uh, I think it, it was before we were on the air. So it was like 2014. Uh, and I just turned 40 and mm -hmm. I wasn't, you know, really into social media, but they gave me this person I had to meet with in Pasadena and they said like, okay, let's start, you know? So I was doing some practice tweets and someone immediately wrote back like, you are Marilyn Manson in drag. Or something like that. So you basically wow. have to develop a really thick skin. But yeah. I kind of already have one because I was old. But like if you're a kid and you're, you know, a young actor, actress, and you're a teenager or in college even, that would be probably extremely upsetting. Whereas I don't give a shit. Like you I'm don't. married with my three kids. Like I'm, I already have my life. I'm fully, I'm almost 50 in a year and a half. So I don't care. But if you're young and sort of more fragile, I think social media would be... There's a really pernicious side. I like keeping up with my yeah. friends and seeing their kids grow up, but that would fucking suck to be taken down like that. Yeah, that would be horrifying. I find um, social media it has, like, it's such a double – there's, like – There's really, really – like, because, like, I have so much, you know, this, like – like, I do – part of the reason I started the podcast was because I find myself, like – feeling guilty a lot why um just in general like the, I that's like the thing that I um it pushed me to start this podcast because I feel like I you know there's so much gratitude that I have and you know I'm so grateful and so lucky and all these things and for social media because I really did build my career on social media and then there's this side of it where I'm just like I really like want people to know who I really am and I feel like it's such a it's it is like you know there's so much um 
there's so much to perceive, you know, that isn't real. Right. Well, you're younger. I think millennials, because it's like so much of your life was yeah. spent publicly on it. Whereas for me, it was, it was later in my life. So I feel like I was formed. I think it's really hard to be a young person and have this sort of construct that you have to, you know, the ambassador of yourself that you have to yeah. put forth. And I work on that with my daughters. My son doesn't really give a shit. Like he barely posts, but my daughters will like show each other and show me that which one is better and which right. one I'm like, guys, don't overthink it. Like I just slap it up there. I don't give a shit, but they're like still at a point where they feel exposed, even though they have private accounts, mm -hmm. even just for their peers, you know? But I, th I do think like something that I, I mean, I met your daughter, um, at, uh, DJ's dinner and she was so I mean the same I was like blown, she loved you she's, I was so blown away I was like this girl is like really she's super she has, like cool. such a, a yeah, good she has her, her shit shoulders. together she really does but even and she's real she's real she knows who she is she's really smart but like in and a, she goes in a bathing suit like it, when, it, when anybody puts on a bathing you know it's just not it's a different culture now where you're yeah. putting these sort of photos of your trip or you want to curate some sort of thing mm -hmm. I'm trying to just always steer them away from that and not think as much and did you always feel that way like I know that we both grew up in the city and yeah under sort of like this on the Upper East Side is a little uh it's intense it's it's funny because you live downtown everyone always assumes I live downtown and asks why I don't and they've are totally weirded out that I yeah. returned to the Upper East Side. But I think that you can't think outside the box unless you know, you know what the box mm -hmm. is. And I liked a traditional upbringing. Like I had, I had a really happy yeah. time. I was rebelling a little bit because I didn't like my uniform and I didn't like my teacher or I didn't, you know, whatever it was. But I'm glad I had it kind of. Like mm -hmm. I see my kids, you know, some of the kids that they were growing up with who – it was more like free for all. And I think that can be harder to, to sort of stay focused and stay. I don't know. I never pressured my kids, but I manners are important to me. I wanted mm -hmm. them to say, you know, hello, Miss Coleman and shake hands properly and look you in the eye. Cause it just shows that you care about people. It's not yeah. that I'm trying to be in an uptight, like park Avenue. No, I think that that's like the most important. You're also, I mean, I hear you're on time all the time. I'm so, <laughs> I was early today. I, I feel like, I was raised, my dad would always say, if you're not 10 minutes early, you're late. Like, yeah, I it's mean, it's amazing. So it sounds like your parents were just like very hands-on, but like allowed you to be yeah, who you I, really oh, are. Oh, please. Like if you knew what I was doing at age eight, I would like take the subway down to Astor Place, walk around St. Mark's because I thought Same. it was like fun and pumps. I got my belly button pierced in like sixth grade at St. Mark's. I was so, and I had no cell phone. I was just like parading <sighs> around and with my bag of tokens. It's you'd be arrested. Yeah. For, but it's like it doesn't you didn't like go too far. Well, I did probably and like when I was 13, 14, I was sneaking out and going to nightclubs like yeah. I, I could have been like raped and killed, but I just luckily wasn't. But I was always very street smart, mm -hmm. but I snuck out all the time and I lied about where I was. Um my kids can't do that because I have their trackers, but I actually like it. Like they have me yeah. on tracker too. They we just always all five of us know where the others are. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I mean, I also now with phones, I don't feel as scared. I mean, my parent, I was just like going out into I was the never, night. Yeah, I mean, I was never scared. I was never scared either. I would but be walking back. Home. Yes, horrifying. I was walking home alone through Central Park with headphones on. Oh, I couldn't do that because the rats. Oh, I don't care about the murderers. I care more about the rats. 
Oh, you don't like? I fucking hate rats. Really? It's like the one part of New York I can't stand. You don't go to the East Village. I go to the East Village, but I don't like walk through Tompkins Square Park in July or August ever because they will. You will have a sighting. Yeah. And you could put a saddle on some of those motherfuckers oh God, and so like good. ride them off. Yeah, they're they can be. I mean, some of them have turned like they're not just rats. They're like creatures. They're of creatures the night. of the night because they are immune. They it's like to everything. Yeah, like, like the poison the is immunotherapy. Yeah, it's they're like super rats. I think they glow also. Um. So when was your like your career? How did it? Um, like, did you know that you all you just wanted to do this? Like, it seems I like it's I wanted, your social media started later, but like, what? How did it totally your started start? late? So I knew that in the you know as a child of the eighties in the magazine heyday with Condé Nast and Hearst, I wanted to work in magazines. Yeah. That was what I wanted. I loved that whole world. I would get in bed with all these magazines that my parents subscribed to and just like joyously leaf through them all, starting at a really young age. Um, and then when I was in college, I came home, I started to come home a lot. Like yeah. I really was just itching to get back to New York. And, um, I made friends with this guy and I went to his birthday dinner and was seated next to Amy Astley, who's, she's well, now yeah, the no, artist. Wow. Yeah. Now she's architectural digest, but she used to be beauty director of Vogue. And there had been this, you were probably too little to remember, but there was this incident in Singapore where this idiot American spray painted a car his name was Michael Fay, and he was sentenced to a caning, like a lashes, yeah. which is like a whip, like yeah. the, but it's like metal rod and flesh flies. So all it drew this international attention to corporal punishment in Singapore, and all these people were horrified and decided they didn't want to go there and cover it. So she was like, I've had three writers cancel on this Singapore story on beauty because all these girls would get like boob jobs and almond eye shape surgery mm -hmm. for graduation. So she's like, do you want to go? And this is back when magazines had money. So they sent me business class to Singapore. I was 20. Oh, my God. And at the time, it was pre-9-11, obviously, you could just, like, trade it in for a store credit. So I was like, hi, can I trade this ticket in and go – I'll go coach, but then I can go all around the world. Like, I basically had this store credit with American Airlines. They, they gave me, like, a really expensive ticket. Wow. So I wound up, because um, I graduated in three years, I skipped my junior year, all my friends were seniors, and I went on this like odyssey by myself, which was so cool. And I filed my story via fax machine, because I'm the crypt keeper, um, dinosaur, in my hotel in Geneva, I faxed the story, handwritten, to Amy Astley, and then she faxed back, like, great. So my first article was in Vogue, and then by the time I got back, um, I had a job at Interview Magazine, wow. which was Andy Warhol started. Yeah. So I worked there for two years. I was not happy there. Um, and then I started to feel like I wanted to do more than just magazines. I started working for MTV. And I were, I was a permalancer, which means no health insurance, but I was a permanent freelancer. And I freelanced there sort of on and off until I never got hired again because I was pregnant. Wow. It was really weird. Like I, they just took one look at me and decided I wasn't cool anymore. Nice. Yeah, it was really great. So, wow. so um, you were what age was that? Like twenty eight. Wow. Okay. Yeah, like I was nine months pregnant at twenty eight, or yeah, like twenty twenty eight. And my boss was like, "Holy shit!" Like they brought me in for the show, and he's like, "Are you pregnant?" And meanwhile, all these guys were like thirty seven, thirty eight, yeah. with 
vintage clash t-shirts and messenger bags like that rejuvenile article in new york magazine i was a decade younger and um they just were like oh and then one of them i confronted him in a whole foods it was like that was so weird that you just never booked me again and he said well i thought you were busy with the baby i so it was like later be- on yeah like i saw him a couple years later but I was, you wouldn't say to a man i just assumed you were busy with your kid yeah no i mean it was awful do you do you always like confront situations in that way? Yeah. Yeah, me too. Do you do you find that it ever um like how have you navigated that with have you ever felt like you were sort of really out of your element or you just sort of like or like after the fact you when you have like stood up for yourself and you've like you know you're right. Yeah, I know I'm right. And after the fact you're like, "Oh, like you know, do you ever feel any sort of fear? No. You're fearless. And it's I'm like amazing. I'm fearless because, well, now that I'm older, I'm pretty right, fearless. When, I would say. When did that happen? I would say when I first, like people always ask me with Odd Mom Out, is that you? And I always say, it's me at 28. It's not me at 48. When I was 28, you know, I had such yeah. a strong sense of self. I felt like this is me. I know who I am. And then you have a kid. And it sort of shakes the Etch-a-Sketch on your identity a little bit because you feel a little bit vulnerable through this child and Mm -hmm. you're suddenly like, first of all, you're exhausted. So a lot of, I sleep nine hours a night. I have, my Mm -hmm. blood pressure is 86 over 60. I'm a freak of nature. Like I am a vampire and I need, you know, I go down for nine hours. So having a kid was really hard for us. Mm -hmm. I mean, my husband, his sleep was uninterrupted, but I was... Just a lot of it fell on me. And yeah. so I think I was more emotional because I was so fried. Like I just felt so sleep deprived for about 11 years. Yeah. That um, I feel that. I think it is a lot of the time like something, you know, when you're like feel that way, there is like something so directly related to like your health. Yeah, I can take on anything if I'm well rested. Yeah. Um, So I felt, yeah, I felt a little vulnerable then and I had a harder time sort of advocating for myself just because I, you know, you're just tired You and it does throw things into perspective. So I wasn't going to like throw a hissy fit about MTV because I had other things and I had my kid. Mm -hmm. So I was just really, the first couple years we felt like we, it wasn't a family. It was a couple with a baby because we could just put Sadie on my hip yeah. and go to Denmark and go everywhere. We were very much like shoestring, mm-hmm. no baby nurse, no housekeeper, no babysitter. We had like a patchwork of babysitters if we had to go out to a birthday. But I would routinely bring my baby to a bar, like Sweet Home Alabama, white trash style with like, hi, here I am in a bar with a baby. But I wasn't going to get a sitter for one hour to go to like your dumb birthday drinks, yeah. you know? Um, so we were kind of ragtag in the beginning and then I had a second and third a year apart and a miscarriage in there. So it was like just sort of chaos for five years and those, that time is kind of a blur for me, but I kind of built back up my resolve. And then once, by the time I had my show, I feel like I had more balls than I had had even pre-children. Like I just, I just feel like all the chutzpah, the tank was refilled I didn't care. Yeah. I had my priorities. My family was kind of first and everything else was gravy. So I just didn't give a shit as much. Yeah. Do you think that um, when I like watch Odd Mom Out, I I was wondering like throughout the whole thing, I was sort of like, I wonder if, you know, the 
if you sort of speak your insecurities out loud, they sort of lose their power? Like, do you think that you were just putting it out like on the table and you're just like, this yeah. is like everything I've that's ever crossed my mind. Yeah. That was the, that was me when I was a new mom and I didn't know all the shit that people were doing, like teaching their toddler Mandarin and like, you know, yeah, buying like, coming home outfits from the hospital. But no, people not, most people don't do that. You know, it's like this it's, bubble. Right, but I was in the bubble. Right. The bubble. And, but I feel like the yardstick changes from place to place. But even in yeah, Middleburg, Virginia or wherever you were, there's always going to be like a Nellie Olson or a villain or somebody who has more money. I actually think it's probably worse outside the city, which doesn't make sense to people. But mysterious like apartments are mysterious you go into a building no one sees the street value like when you are driving in a small town you're like that big white house is the yeah. richest person in all the town like that's right so much more there's much more energy yeah and what car you drive yeah you know none of that shit matters here right. um but I'm also not from Middleburg, virginia though no, I know that. You're from here. You're I'm native. I'm from New York. <laughs> passing through. I was passing but, through. Um, but I will never drive through Virginia ever again. Yeah, I, I, I don't, don't think like funny. banjo music. But um, no, I'm kidding. But I feel like some of that stuff, it wasn't so much insecurities like I was doing something wrong. It was just you want to give your kid every opportunity and do everything right. And um, I just, it was, it's heightened in the show because it's my sister-in-law. Mm -hmm. But I wound up feeling that way. Anyway, because these moms, I always had like spit up on me and, you know, I looked like Urban Outfitters diarrhea on me and they all were in head to toe, like perfect clothing that seemed all in place. But I didn't realize that they had like half of Manila in their triplex. Yeah, it's pretty, um, it's pretty like hard to grow up and just see that. And like, I feel like even when I was growing up, no one talked about anything. Like, I feel like only recently people, like, talk about what's going on, you know, like, if anyone – I don't know. Like, Well, that's sort of in the pilot of, is when I was growing up in the 80s, the, like, really, really rich girls in my class at Spence who had limousines, which don't really exist anymore except for, like, a bachelor party in Vegas or Atlantic City. But there's so many they would be dropped off a block from school because they were embarrassed to pull up, like, smacked out in the limousine. Whereas now they're like, pull right in the, there's this whole sort of fabulosity yeah. on like reality TV and all this stuff that celebrates kind of wealth and um, billionaires and status and, you know, just like living your best life, quote unquote. Whereas I feel like that was, even though everyone thinks of the 80s as Gordon Gecko, greed is good and all that and this sort of hyperbolized oh, Wall Street culture. has like the, the image. It's it's very much um, that image of the '80s, but but people there was an embarrassment of riches. Oh my God, hard money. Yes, okay, perfect. I love this cover. Yeah, it's great. Right. Yeah, but see. now now people it are showy matter. about it. I know it's so terrible. And I, I think kids are showy. I mean, I always tell this story, but when Ivy was two, we were standing outside school, and she said, "Mommy, why are you the only mommy at school without red bottoms on your shoes?" And I was sort of like horrified, but proud that You're she like, noticed. Also because I... And I was like, oh, I don't spend $1,000 on shoes. We don't, I don't do that. So I just sort of always told my kids, why don't we have a country house? Because we don't, we're never going to get that. And I don't, mommy doesn't know how to drive. Sorry. Touch and if it. you, do you think you like, even if you could, would you? I mean, if you can. No, I can't drive. Can your husband drive? Yeah. He drives us everywhere. But our thing is go. that I don't, well, 
the thing is, like, if you have a country house, you have to go there. And yeah. I don't, I like to travel. So yeah. our biggest splurge is travel. Like, we travel a lot. And I'd much rather do that than have some bricks and mortar place I have to go to and to hang my hat. Psychologically, I don't feel the, the need. Yeah. And do you have people, like, how did you deal with those sort of, like, you live on the Upper East Side. You sort of are around all of these. I'm kind sort of, of midtown. But, yeah, I'm, I'm Upper East Side adjacent. Right, Dorito. Dorito. I grew up on 58th Street. Oh, so you're Dorito. I'm Dorito. Love it. Yeah. I know. I was reading, I mean, really, like, you're kind of the, the smarter, you had, like, a smarter path. I was, like, a little bit less smart. You know, you're so smart. I was, like, Westminster, you went to Taft. I got kicked out, but. That's kind of a badge of honor now, like, looking back. I, like I think I was cool the only, I feel like out. people, like. I was really bad. Like, I had, there was no boundaries. I was, like, going out at, like, 12. Right. Well, that's that's why. See, I got over it. Like, I was yeah, same. I got really over bad. the time I was, like, 18. I was, like, I am never going to do. See, I got over it at 15 because I went to boarding school in 10th grade. And same. by then I reinvented myself as the goody-goody. Oh, interesting. Because I was, like, br- having a, I was doing drugs in boarding school. I would have, like, my... It was just so outrageous. I don't even know. I was like, I, the, oh, my God. Uh, it was crazy. I had my drug dealer meet me <laughs> at the Pizza Hill, and I would just, like, bring it up and, like, probably, I can't get in trouble now. No, you know? of course not. What are they gonna do I'm now? sure they knew. They I'm found. sure you weren't the only one. No, I was. I was the one... I was, like, bringing the... Oh, you were the dealer? I don't know if I would call it dealer. I was sharing. Okay. You know, I was yeah, just I like, I have God. Person. I was generous with You're it. Very generous individual. Very generous. But, yeah, like, really, um, when I did ask, you know, not to ever come back, they... Um, I went to an all-girls school in Maryland... And I sort of, like, found a completely different life. And Mm -hmm. I, like, was pulled out of, like, like, no one there was pretentious. There was no, everyone was just, like, very nice. And um, I think I had, like, the first real taste of, like, joy that I, and, like, being comfortable. That's lucky. Because I had never really felt that. Um, And it was... I mean, you know, then I came back to the city and it sort of, like, took me a few years, but the seed was definitely planted there. Like, things, I really, like, felt at peace in this school. So it was kind of a that's, blessing. That's yeah. great. Like, I feel like leaving that situation, having, it was so traumatic at the time, but it ended up being, like, the best thing. And I feel like most situations um, that I had from, I mean, most of the time, like, any really, like, insane situation that I've found myself in is, you know, at the end of the day, it sort of has like been the best thing that could have happened. That's right. Um, even when I was, cause I, I did have like, I grew up in, um, with the illusion that we had like a lot of money and it was, 
uh, there, it always felt very confusing. My dad is, um, I don't know, do I talk about this kind of stuff on here? Uh, it's up to you. Like, I mean, how personal do I get? Go all the way. Yeah. You think? Yeah, why not? All right, okay, go so um, my dad is bipolar and, like, has had, he's extremely success, like, successful, creative, but he has these, like, cycles. Mm-hmm. So every, say... Uh, 20 years or so, he has, like... Um, That's a big cycle. Yeah, they're, 20 like... 20 years? I thought you were going to say, like, two no, they No, 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 no. So they, like... I watched him. He's, like, so creative, but he didn't really trust people. And um, growing up, it was sort of, like, okay, like, he's on a high, and, like, everything's really good, and then, like, he would crash, and then things wouldn't be great. And so when I was 21... Um, he had a crash and I had never really experienced that because the first time it happened, you were a baby. I was three and um, my parents got divorced and I was sort of, I don't know if like protected. I think there was definitely a feeling that like it, I mean, something was really going on, but I just like didn't know what it, what it was. So I think a lot of that I internalized mm-hmm. and I took it on. So I, high school, I had like this, you know, I was living this life that was just so, like, not real. You know, there was no substance, and it was just, like, very fast and drugs and alcohol and, like, not paying attention in school and, you know, just, like, doing whatever, like, I wanted, but I was just, like, completely detached, you know? I was, like... And did you just age out of it? No, I, um... When I was 21... I went to go sign up for classes and like it didn't work and I hadn't you know I got a phone call from this guy and he was like your father had a um an episode Mm -hmm. and so what had happened was like there was an or you know we lived in uh an apartment on 72nd street and for you know I don't, the details are all like, you know, I basically like he did not have a house that we did not have a house anymore. Oh, shit. And we didn't have like everything was gone. And it was like, I just didn't really understand completely what was going on. But it was like I had to stand on my own two feet, you Mm -hmm. know, for the first time. And it's like, it just was like that situation was I'm not sure I even felt how intense it was at the time because it was just like okay like my entire life that I knew is completely gone and you know I need to grow like I need but it to it taught you self-reliance I mean oh that's my god so, it was a, it was like so the greatest gift way. and um I mean, it's awful but no it's- it was not awful it was like the most amazing thing because like so much of my family and childhood and like all of my upbringing was so everything was like money you know it was like costed and protected every but not it was just like everything was about money and we had to like my dad healed like he got sober um I eventually got sober my you know we sort of got we were not like nothing was defined by money anymore. And it was, um, 
the relationship that I have with my dad today, he's 90 or he's not 89. He, it's just like real, you know, it's like completely based around vulnerability and like, there's no, there's nothing to hide, you know, like, um, and it also, I don't think I, I don't know that I would have been forced to like build up confidence to even have started doing something on my own. You know, it, um, it was pretty in intense, but, um, I think that those situations I've realized are like the things that make you like so much stronger, so much stronger. Yeah. Um, I mean, you were so young to go through that, but yeah, I don't know. It was, it was intense. Um, but I just, you know, have you had a situation where you felt like you're like the floor was like, yeah, gone. I've had several. Well, I was engaged twice before I met wow. Harry and the first time, it, you know, it was, we didn't have a date. It was my college sweetheart. And then the second time I couldn't have afforded my own place. So I moved back in with my mom and dad and I remember, and I'm so close with my parents. Like, I'm addicted to my parents. I'm so lucky. Um, but one sort of hiccup is, like, when I had called off that wedding and was crying just because I felt like I'm never going to meet anybody. And I am I literally thought I was going to be a spinster. I mean, it was crazy. Like, I, yeah, I thought I, mean, I was so old. And I was 24. Um, but I remember the tough love of my parents kind of being like, you made your bed. You have to lie in it kind of thing. And I was like, mm. and then every date that I had that was shitty, you know, that people would fix me up or I met someone, you know, this is before cell phone apps and all that, but I would meet people and the date would be horrible. And there was this one guy who was a writer who I really admired his byline. And I thought he was like going to be this brilliant guy. And a friend was a mutual friend and set us up and, Right away, I was not attracted, but I thought maybe mm -hmm. maybe things will evolve. I was rearranging the sugar packets. Like, there's the equal, the sweet and low, you know, all that shit, the regular sugar. So they were all jumbled up. So I was putting, like, the blue with the blue and the pink mm -hmm. with the pink. And he's like, could you stop fucking with the sugars? Oh, my God. And he, like, scared the shit out of me. And I was like, get me out of here. Like, when I get repulsed. It's like this wave yeah. of revulsion. I need to leave right away. Yeah. So I feigned a headache or something. But I was screeching up 6th Avenue in a taxi within like 30 seconds of him snapping at me. Yeah. I was like, if this is our first date and I'm not even your wife, like. Yelling I, I, at you. Yeah. So I every time I had a bad, bad date, which was often, um, I would just cry. I'd go home and cry. <laughs> and I'd be crying in the backseat of the cab being like, you ruined your life, you fucking dumb bitch. But um Luckily, I didn't, and yeah. I met Harry. Not that you, like, need a man to, sh to show you that you did the right thing, but that whole Winnie houston -y thing of, like, you have to love yourself first, like, that didn't happen for me. Mm. I was definitely looking. I was alone and missed, but I did have really good friends around me, so that was lucky. But um, I had that feeling of just being kind of lost. But um, I, you know, if, if I didn't have my great friends around me and – Hedwig and the Angry Inch had just come out and we saw it at the Jane Street Theater when it was off broad off off Broadway and I burst into song in the on the cobblestones and my oh. friend trip was like, You're back. You're back. I lost you a little bit in that relationship, but you're back. And I knew I'd be okay the whole time. It wasn't like that free fall kind of desperation, but I was definitely 
sort of lonely and scared about the future. Um, but honestly, the the professional setbacks, even if they were a bummer, like my show getting canceled, I didn't cry. People all said, like, did you cry? And I, I really didn't because all that stuff is gravy. I feel yeah. like the personal stuff is more important to me and I wanted to have my personal life set. And um, I feel like the hardest times I've ever cried were always something about personal life. Like my daughter was born with a hole in her heart and she's fine now. But when they first told me, you're going to have to go to, you know, pediatric, this like cardio, this surgeon who does all this stuff, I was bawling like uncontrollably just because again, it's like your kid is in such an extension. You just feel so vulnerable for this, especially it was this like little baby, little bitty baby, but she's fine. But I, I, you get these glimpses into what people go through and, you know, when I was in the hospital, I also volunteered at Sloan Kettering for many years. And you just see the suffering of these parents with sick children. And I just feel like nothing bothers me. Like stupid shit doesn't bother me because I, I know the gauntlet that people are going through. And I tend not to sweat the small stuff ever because of those Mondays that I volunteered. And I don't know. I just I feel like I'm pretty centered about. I'm just so fucking lucky and so grateful for just the health of my family that when I have professional setbacks, I sort of shrug it off. And I've had many. I just tend not to give a shit. Like, it's a bummer, but I don't know. Yeah, like, you know, you're gonna, everything's gonna be fine. Yeah. Yeah. You know, did you always, did you like, start with a plan? Did you feel like you had a plan? No, I had so many. Just like you have, because I'm really, obviously, like, I named this surprised to be here so I'm like pretty yeah. surprised I'm I'm like are const- you a goal-oriented person like no you sort of- I sort of move the goal line whenever yeah. I'm there um but I really when I was in high school and college I was always in a play I always yeah. wanted to do a play sometimes in college I was in two plays at once like I was never not in a play and when I was graduating and I like took the final bow I thought like this is so sad I'm never gonna act again because I don't want to be an actress I don't want to like fuck gross Harvey Weinstein yeah. whale people. Not that I was his type. I was too probably like old and brown and stuff. But like, I, don't know, I feel like he would have liked you. No, don't I don't, I don't do think that. He would. To you. No, no. I think he wants like tits on a stick, blondes and stuff. But anyway, I am like offbeat looking. I like my looks, but I'm yeah, definitely like a, I'm like a little right. more severe. So maybe you wouldn't like, which I'm fine with. By the way, I don't want to like appeal to those like walrus types anyway. So um, <laughs> I knew that I didn't. I would have loved to be an actress, but I didn't need it. Like, you have to need it. But I knew I could get a job as a writer. I had already, you know, written that article and had sent it around and had interviews and stuff. And I'd interned at Harper's Bazaar. So I had my boss there putting in good words. So I don't know. I guess I was sort of a workaholic. Like, I needed a job. I could never have been, you know, like cobbling together, uh, you know, rent with different jobs like I just wanted a job to go to so um I was in magazines for years and then I thought I want to write books and so I had written my first novel with my writing partner then writing partner Carrie and then um once I had kids it kind of dovetailed into we each kind of were doing our own books and then the the funny thing about acting again starting at 40 well 39 I did I sold the show and the pilot and um, Andy Andy Cohen, who bought it, was like, wow. I actually started my show at 39. And it was a good turning point that was something you could never have planned for. You, I sort of took this weird back door yeah. into it. So 
it was nothing you could even like shout into the universe because it's too random. Right. And it was only when I had a big professional disappointment, which is um, my novels all sold way better than my essay collections. Mm -hmm. And I like my essay collections way better. And they're more me. I feel like I was kind of hiding behind characters in the novels. And they represent a time where, you know, I had three young children. And I just wanted time alone. So I would like shit out a couple chapters here and there. It was sort of meant to be like beach reads for young moms who are harried. Yeah. And um, when I finally did my book, Sometimes I Feel Like a Nut, I felt like I was telling the truth kind of for that was the, the first, first time. time that I... Yeah. That was, that felt like it was my like balsamic reduction of myself and it it was a bestseller you know i said it said like best selling da 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 but it didn't sell as well as my novels so um the publisher said you know we're not going to do another essay collection we but we'd like you to do another novel and i just felt like a whore i didn't want to write what they wanted i want to write what i wanted to write right. you know I, i've never done anything for the marketplace yeah. i just want to do what's like clawing its way out of me so Rather than write, I, then I did like that thing you hear actors say, like, what if I do one for you and one for me? Like, mm -hmm. I'll write you a novel and then can I write my essay collection? And they were like, still no. <laughs> so that was total rejection. But I wanted to be working and busy. So and my kids were all now at this point, my youngest was in kindergarten. So I started working at Ogilvy doing copywriting. Like I was writing maxi pad commercials. Like I was writing, you know. But I had I made good money and I felt like I had an office to go to three days a week. And the producers that I was working for, um, Tim Piper and Daniel Rosenberg, were like, you're funny. You should be on TV. You should write for TV. I was like, okay, you know, I'll get right on that. And they're like, we can help you. So yeah. they developed Odd Mom Out with me because when I had met with Andy Cohen, NBC, which owns Bravo and Peacock, where the show is now, um, they owned my book, Momzilla's. All my novels were sold and none were made. Like, they buy five times as many things as they intend to produce. And, you know, every single thing got sold, and I was all excited, and then jack shit happened. So it was really only when I kind of hustled and made it happen. But, um, you know, it was so circuitous. Sometimes it's like two steps backwards to go mm -hmm. three steps forward. That's definitely how my career has played out. And when you were – did you ever um, work with Charlotte Beers at – Ogilvy? No. I just She's worked with like these the guys. coolest. I feel like I was in like a copywriter dungeon. No, I had like a cute cubicle and they had a good cafeteria. Amazing. So I was I was happy. But it was part time. It's interesting to hear you talk about it like in hindsight because it seems just so um you know, like when you're in the moment of like these situations and you're just like if I make, it's like whatever decision you make, everything is just sort of ends up being okay. I mean, I talk to, like, I've had, even at like 34, I think I'm like so old and like whatever, but. Um, oh my God, I could not, be your No, but like, you know, just sort of my 20s, I feel like when I watch like anyone who I, you know, I, who works for me or, you know that I meet that's like in their early 20s and they're sort of like, I just don't know what I want to do. And I'm like, yeah, I like literally had no, I moved home with my mom when I was 27 years old and I was, you know, getting, I was looking for a job and things were just really looking pretty grim. And 
you know, I just sort of, I think the most important thing for me was like reaching out and talking to people and seeing like, you know, really listening to their advice, not sort of just, you know, just like, you know, what did you do in this situation, you know? And like being really honest with myself and like, I never thought I'd make a, like do what I'm doing. I don't even know how it feels like, you know, you work every day and then you sort of wake up and you're like, oh, wow. Like you work hard every day on something that you love to do and your self-worth is sort of, you know, good enough. Um, and you don't sort of just run away from it. Like you just keep showing up every day, even if it's whatever happens. It seems that things just, they make sense, you know? It's Yeah, like, and some days it's you feel a little powerless because it's not happening fast enough, but you have to understand, especially in a creative endeavor, you have to give yourself permission to lay mm -hmm. fallow yeah. and not necessarily be productive every single yeah. day. And I had days, I mean, in the pandemic, we were all kind of off the hook a little yeah. bit, but then even after the pandemic, people were like, oh, I wrote this masterpiece. You know, Shakespeare wrote King Lear in a, in a pandemic. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Shakespeare didn't have three kids to deal with. But even, I mean, my kids are older, but I just still felt like I'm just still not ready or I don't want to do something just yet. And you can't yeah. pressure yourself. Yeah, I mean, I think everyone feels that way. It's sort of, um, I don't know. I think, like, just throwing yourself out there and, like, seeing what happens. Um, I've always been a sprinter. There's sort of marathon personalities where they can – be consistently you know. doing it every day. I have like fits and starts of yeah. productivity where I'll like shit out something I'm really proud of and then take a day off and then go edit it or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I definitely need that. I like, there are days where I'm just like, you know, I just really can't do it today. I'm gonna, you just can't do it every day. That's right. At all. I mean, it can be so exhausting. Yeah. Um, do you, so do you, um, the people that you grew up with, are they like your closest friends? My or are closest they friends are my five bridesmaids in my wedding. One is from Spence when I was little. Two are from high school and two are from college. And they're my same five best friends. Like they're my sisters. The thing about having kids is you make these new friends and some of them are great mm -hmm. and some of them suck. And you have to like weed the friendship garden because right. originally, you know, they say like it takes a village and – there were women I actually really cared about, but it is just kind of passing through. Right. And sometimes, uh, you know, I, I'm from here, so it's different. If you're – there's, you know, there's natives, commuters, and settlers. And if you're a settler, I think some people turn to their school as a community, and mm -hmm. that's, like, where they fish for friends, whereas, like, I kind of already had my friends. And I made new friends, yeah. especially with my oldest. You kind of bond more with your first kids' class. But – um you know, sometimes you get to the bottom of people or you date mm -hmm. them as couples, like two couples go out. And some of these people like go on fucking ski trips together and they just met five minutes ago yeah. and then they're godmother of their next kid and shit. And that's not me. Like, and I made a couple mistakes where you meet people, they seem normal and cool. And then you realize like, they're just not your people. So yeah. weirdly I have like weeded the friendship garden. You like throughout. open yourself up and you're like, I could try this. And then yeah, but I, I always that. keep 10% for myself. Like, right. I'm never really – they're never going to be as close to me as my original right. five best friends. Um, but, you know, I always will make an effort. Now, even in college, Sadie's friends, I actually really like the parents. 
and we have like a chat group and pictures of the kids on their trip and stuff. But like, it's just not the same as mm-hmm. the history. You just have a different bandwidth, I guess. Yeah. And um, your how has like your relationship with your husband, how does that change like with your career? Do you think that such like- a great question? I was honestly, Sarah, like. So my friend Kira, I went to her 50th birthday last weekend and they were saying they've been married longer than us, way long. So we've been married 21 years. And I think they're 28 years. They met when she was 21, really, really young. And he actually read at her 50th birthday, he read the poem that he wrote her for her 21st birthday. It was very cute. Um, and they, he said, we've had three marriages, but to each other. Wow. And that totally struck yeah. a nerve because I feel like the the bump in my marriage where I had a hard time was those years with little kids because mm-hmm. I felt like I was doing more of the work. And Harry would always, I'd be like, there's diarrhea up the back. And Harry would say like, you're better at it. Right. You're better. <laughs> like, well, I have no choice. I had to get better at it. But also because I was a writer and he worked, you know, right. in, in an office. So he, I just was up to my elbows and shit. And I started getting really resentful mm-hmm. that as a woman, and even later when I was working, the school still calls the mom first. Yeah. There was just, I had all this resentment. Um, but you know what? We like, we got through it and we started taking trips. Like we didn't take any trips for five years like you or did something. stuff together. Yeah. And like when an we, effort. it's funny because when we went on our honeymoon, we had a fabulous honeymoon. And when we came back. Where did you go? Um, we went to Italy. We did a road trip. Oh, nice. And yeah. when we came back. I said, the honeymoon's over. And he said, the honeymoon will never be over. And I was so into him. He was like my boyfriend, okay? Then we had the three kids and we would bicker about like stupid shit, whether it was like money or like in-laws or whatever it was, we would we bickered more. And then we kept saying like, once Fletch goes to sleepaway camp, because we're Jewish, we're like down with that. Um, which yeah, is like marriage defibrillators. It's really great. It's great for the kids and it's I great mean, for just us. Like camp friends. Yeah, and I had my mm. camp friends. So when like girls get kind of cunty in middle school, I always had this life raft of like the camp friends. So when Fletch went to camp, we 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 had four weeks. We rented a car and we repeated our honeymoon. Mm. And I remember saying to my best friend Vanessa, like, I'm gonna be in a car with him for a month. Like, I mean, they're coming back divorced or madly in love. And luckily it was the latter. I came back and he was my boyfriend and he said, we were going to pick up the kids. And he was like, I'm sad because my girlfriend's leaving me and my wife's going to come back. Cause like, <laughs> I'm obviously have to get back to like Captain Von Trapp mode. Not that I had a dog whistle, but like, you know, it's just, you're running a family, you're running a household and there's all these moving parts and schools and all the school forms I filled out, all the stuff, you know? So it was yeah, that thing so of like much. the wife kicking the girlfriend out. Cause I felt so much more like free and sexy in a car in Italy on the Amalfi coast than like dealing with the pediatricians and the, you know, all of the stuff. Did you try to bring that in at all? Like, was there any effort in balance or were you just like, all right, this is just. No, it was, it's a great question. What I did was say, okay, we know now know that we're doing this every summer, Mm -hmm. but so you have the memories to draw upon. And then like in the dead of January, you, you have it to look forward to, but you, you can always like draw from that. Well, but I said, we need to take, every few months, a weekend, just the two of us. So we'd dump the kids with my parents. See, I'm so lucky. Like people can't do this. I would ditch them with my parents and we'd go to Connecticut or go, you know, driving. Mm -hmm. We weren't like hopping jets, but we would go somewhere within a couple hours of New York and just have that 
romantic time, but also sleep. Like, yeah. it sounds so dumb, oh, man, no. but sleep. It's like all I ever want to do. No, that's, that was such a luxury for <laughs> yeah. us. Now it's not, now I sleep as much as I want. But like those years for me, that was like the biggest luxury was sleep. So we got that and then we'd come home kind of rested and then start all over again. But it's really important to carve that out. And also you're teaching your kids like, we have our marriage comes first too, and that's a character in this family. And we're not just like our lives don't a hundred percent revolve around you. And when you sort of started, you know, the social media, like you're very like active on social media. Do you think that that, like, was he on board with that? Yeah, he doesn't really care. Like Harry's so chill. Yeah. He's the most relaxed guy which is actually great for our relationship because if I get stressed about something or, or someone or I get angry and I'll be like, what like he doesn't fuck? join you there. No, he's like, <laughs> he's like, they're miserable. Don't worry about it. You know, like he, nothing bothers him and everything will bother me mm-hmm. about like Trump's presidency or whatever it was from yeah. big to small. Like Whereas like things don't upset him. He's the most even keeled person, um, which is, which is yeah, it's good. A yeah. He didn't care at all. Yeah. He was like fine with it. And did your kid? How did your kids feel about it? They're fine with it. They don't. They don't really. They love. You know. They. I feel like there was something recently that I posted that they're like, careful. Like I think if I'm if it ever gets too, I don't know. I'm not terribly PC. I never would want to offend anyone. But if you see what we got away with an odd bum out, I mean, it's like crazy. <laughs> it's a yeah. different world now. But um, even like three years ago. Yeah. How do you um, how do you feel about that? I stand by it. I don't care. We got letters. No one really cared. No, cancel culture. Oh, cancel culture. Um, I feel like, I don't know. I feel like if some things are just outwardly mean yeah. and like body shaming or like these trolls who are so evil where there is a del- deleterious effect on people's psyche and depression and all that. Um, but I also think comedy in terms of comedy in a writer's room, like you all take a sort of a vow of silence that you're going to just spitball freely and not be judged. And then now you hear of people coming out and saying like people were trying things on Versailles in writer's rooms and they're canceled or right. I don't know. It's, it's like the walking it's the death of comedy. Sort of yeah. yeah. It's yeah. Um, it's really, cha- I feel like it's really changed like every, the way everyone sort of moves around everything. You yeah. Know? It's, it's like true. this, um, but I don't know, you know, can't say it's yeah. like you know I mean it is do you think that it is like what do you think the result of that would be I guess the the lanes are probably a little narrower that you can drive yeah. down but as long as you are striking out and writing what is like coursing through your veins then it's I think it's fine I mean I just wrote a screenplay I'm producing a movie this year at some point wow. I'm raising money now it's really fun being a like beggar for cash it's like Willie Loman hat yeah, in hand I fucking that? Hate it's it. like it seems like you just like that kind of stuff doesn't shake you you know like oh no it shakes of- me I hate asking for money I feel like a prostitute I, you- I hated asking Connie Nast for my like two thousand dollar check yeah and they owed it to me yeah. you know I'd be like well, where's the check I just felt dirty and weird I have a strange relationship with money that way I and have that I think men don't feel that at all they're yeah. like you owe me this right. whereas I'm like like if you could just see the invoice I sent 30 days yeah. ago that would be awesome so thanks sorry. so much sorry smiley faces yeah um 
yeah, I hate that aspect because I think of myself as a creative person and I want someone else to do the fundraising. Now, luckily, I have people in place helping me with that. But I still am doing the song and dance and they say, all you need is a deck and a dream. So I have that. And I have a screenplay that I'm really super proud of. Um, I co-wrote it with this husband and wife um, who worked at Samantha Bee. Um, Carol Hartzell is the director of a movie that I did a cameo in. So that's how I met her. And she's super funny. So I'm basically just like trying to produce this. But when I look at it, I think it's really funny. I think it's the best thing I've done. Um, and will it offend people? Probably. Maybe. I don't know. I don't care. Cause I don't think it's mean. Yeah. Just like, I don't think on my mouth's mean. I think you can be funny and kind of like skirt that edge. But if, if, the intention is in the right place and it's just trying to make people laugh and not be like evil, mean spirited where you're guiltily laughing. Yeah. But you're like, it's funny that I feel like when I was like sort of, you know, watching and there is like a very, um, like you're an, as a person, I feel like many people could find you intimidating or like there's a, like you're the so warm and kind, you know. I get, so it's yeah, like the mean thing. Like I don't. No, I th- I get that a lot. People say they're intimidated. I think it's because my looks are like a little bit harsh, like a little severe. But I'm actually the nicest person. Yeah. So here's how I work. It's like the earth. Okay. So there's like the crust, which is really super nice. Yeah. And then there's the mantle, which is like the lava, the hot lava. Like if you fuck with my kids yeah. or me or my husband or anyone I love, you're dead to me. Mm-hmm. Dead. And then there's the core, which is nice again. Yeah. I get that. Yeah. I feel like. Hashtag layers. A lot of that. <laughs> Human geology. Like can be portrayed as just like bitch, you know? I've gotten that before, but I, but those are people who don't know me. So right. I don't concern, what they think of me is none of my business because I know right. I'm nice. I don't really care. And if their snap judgment is like saying I'm a bitch, then I probably wouldn't like them either. Right. You know what I mean? I don't, don't really care what people think because I probably wouldn't like them. I don't like most people. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty amazing how you've, like, just created, like, I think it's really hard for a lot of artists and, like, creatives, you know, the the sensitivity to, you know, navigating, like, the business side of, you know, because it is something that's so emotional and it's so tied to, like, who you are. So when you're sort of... um, putting yourself out there it's like very raw like if it's gonna be good it's gonna be truly yourself and then you're met with this like well it's business and this is how it goes and it's like you know it's like splitting something in half that can't I I find it hard to split the two in half and to sort of just you know oh here's like this thing that's like an expression of like everything inside me and like there's this the monetizing and the money and the selling of yourself and it um it's uh it's hard to it's very hard to navigate i found it um that at times it can be isolating and it's it's definitely been a hard thing for me like having someone in between me and a person that I'm working with, like a business sort of um, like that side of it is super helpful. But also, you know, finding those people that you can trust to like run the business side or to, you know, speak for you and speak honestly for you. It's 
I feel like that for me has been the challenging part and sort of, you know, knowing who you are and um, trusting that what you're doing is like true, you know, Mm -hmm. because when it comes to like the money stuff or the business side, messages can be so mixed, you know, you can be like, oh, well, it's just so personal, you know, so how, like, how do you separate your art and like the things that you create from that, you know, because I just think it's not what I do is not for everyone. Just right. like, you know, anything great, I think yeah. is, is not for everyone. I, I would much rather have a loyal, small, specific following than appeal to everybody and be like, you know, a crowd pleaser. Cause then if you're a crowd pleaser, you have no thorns. Right. I think what makes people interesting is like all their, their, I love that. their edgy parts, That's you know, I don't want it pumiced out. If you pumice yeah. it all out, then, you know, what's the point of that? Right. So I don't take it personally because I know that there's shit that everyone else loves that I can't stand. Right. And so I just am doing it for myself or for the people who get me, yeah. not for everyone. That's really like the best answer possibly, you know? I mean, it's, it seems so obvious, but it's like a person who's a creative in that situation doesn't always think that way, you know, because when there's, there can be like a hundred people that are saying like how amazing it is and, you know, you're doing great. And there's like one person who says something, I feel like that can be sometimes louder you know it's like that's what madonna said focusing she did yeah she said like if there's a room of 100 people and 99 love me and one hates me i i that person is louder to me and i was like that's so weird i yeah you don't not like that at all yeah i want i'd be like 99 people love me fuck that person yeah but that also i feel like she's madonna like who cares what that one person you have the you had like the core you know like it seems like your parents were so um, like, I think that it's amazing. It's almost like speaking a, a different language because I feel like I did not, I didn't have the, that feeling like of safety, mm-hmm. you know? And when I'm talking to you, I'm like, it seems like it was, that's your default is to be like, oh my God, like, you know, they love me. And I mean, for, for me, it has been like, I try, I, my, my goals and my sort of like what I work on and try to like, you know, maintain is like, it really is not always for everyone, you know, like that answer would never have, um, it wouldn't have just popped in my head like that. Well, now it will, and you'll know when you walk into your awesome store that it's curated and cool and for specific people with taste, and you're not, like, limited express in a mall in every place in America. You know what I mean? The whole point is that it's heightened and culty and that you want the people that want you. Yeah, but for lots of people, I think it is – it's not always, like, the default, you know? So I think hearing that is – it feels like – groundbreakingly obvious but like genius I was you know when I was thinking about you coming here and I was thinking I was like you know we don't know each other that well and you were so like you know 
I mean, you first of all, you emailed like right back. Like, oh, I, yeah, I always do You're that. You're just like the man. I mean, I don't get when really, people really, like disappear for four days. Really, it's so weird. Yeah. I mean, it was just, I, you know, having you here and like you, I was thinking when I, I even called uh, BJ and I was like, okay, so like, tell me. We share like, a very close friend, by yes, the way. Who's Listeners. also like the most amazing. Who's the best. Who's and, the best. I've been friends with her for 25 years. You know, the thing she said was like, you're the most loyal friend. That's, that's exactly right. Yeah. And that is like, I will for me. Hut yeah. You if they, if someone like fucks with my friends. They're dead to me. It's the best quality. Like their boyfriend from eighth grade, though. I'll snap. Like I'd rather be immature than disloyal. Yeah. I mean, I completely agree with that. And at times am. <laughs> and for now, like after this, I'm not. Well, maybe, you know, this is I was like, I want to be unapologetically myself. Yeah. Zero. I feel like you are. Yeah, but there is the apology that comes later. Yeah, in okay, my mind. you have to beat that out. I'm gonna with beat. A stick. I'm gonna beat it. Beat it out. Zero. Like I'm not. I'm done. But um, yeah, it was like really amazing having you. And thank you so thank much. You I'm so, much so honored to be the inaugural guest. Oh my god! In this fabulous room. I am so thank you. It's so such much. a happy, joyful womb, and I love the. Octagonal. It is a womb. It's like an Asher cut ceiling. <laughs> 